This is the story of Planet of the Hujibs. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. No, what? An elevator. <laughs> yeah, only only the finest jokes <laughs> so, on flashpoints. All right, so hello, Star Wars fans and move milkers, and with that, welcome to episode twenty-eight of Blast Points. There's a bunch of stuff to cover. Let's start with a little bit of episode eight stuff. Get cover. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode eight. So Mark Hamill said, uh, I think on Twitter or something, that episode yeah, eight, it wraps on Friday, July 22nd. It's getting close. It's getting really close. And what's interesting is that is after Celebration London. Everybody, all the actors will still be in London while Celebration's going on. So that's good. I mean, aside from whatever uh, reshoots that they'll probably do and that hopefully people don't flip out over this time, uh, it's it's very close. It's kind of crazy thinking that they're almost done filming eight now. Yeah. They've been filming a long time, though. So it almost isn't that weird, right? Because it seems like it's been a few months since they started the first stuff we saw. Well, like the video of them filming the scene on... Uh, Achu, right? That was mm-hmm. a couple months ago, right? It was like February or March or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they haven't been filming continuously, but yeah, they've been filming for a while. So, well, I can't wait. And that brings us right into at Celebration Europe. Star Wars Celebration. What's up? What? Sunday, there, Star Wars director Ryan Johnson, Chris Miller, Phil Lord will join Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy, Kiri Hart, and Pablo Hidalgo for Celebration Europe's Future Filmmakers Discussion. What? Following the con's closing ceremony. Yeah, that's exciting. So, there's going to be Han Solo movie talk, definitely, with Miller and Lord there. Episode 8 talk, definitely. I wonder if they'll, uh, the special guest will be, they'll reveal somebody who's working on the third standalone. Yeah. If it's called Future Filmmakers, probably. Episode 8 title, maybe, like we were saying last mm-hmm. week. StarWars.com promises some surprises and ending the weekend on a high note. Yeah! 
words. Yeah. (laughs) Those those are fighting words. Yeah. If they're saving the best for last, then that's going to be pretty incredible. Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. Like them opening the whole show with the Blast of Rogue One news and then ending it with looking forward into... um, The future. Yeah. I hope this one isn't one they decide not to uh, film like they did for the... uh, Rogue, for the basically the future films one last time with Rogue One and the movie that Josh Trank didn't do. And it's also, it's crazy too, they haven't officially said that, that Alden Ehrenreich is playing Han Solo yet. There hasn't been like an, oh yeah, there hasn't been anything on uh, StarWars.com, right? No. Yeah, so maybe they're saving that for, uh, they'll bring him out on stage. And we could even get more cast annou- announcements for Han Solo movie. I wonder if they'll have uh, Chewie come out just to see young Han next to Chewie. Oh, that would be cool. They'll make uh, the, what's his, whatever his name, that poor guy, be in the Chewie suit. <laughs> 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 whatever he's at celebration. He, he lives in it now. Yeah. It's like, you gonna be Chewbacca. You gotta stay in that suit. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna go everywhere. You're gonna go to kid, like schools in Ireland, supermarket openings. Just ride the bus. <laughs> you have to fly in an airplane in the Chewbacca suit. Good luck with that. I think if you were on a plane dressed as Chewbacca, they might let you sit in the cockpit, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I might have to try that. James Cameron was talking Star Wars. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I love James Cameron. So the interview was with a YouTube person, Kelly Stinner. And the video, the original video, has now been made private. But uh, a bunch of other outlets picked it up, and it's all over the place now. So, have you seen the new one? Yes, I have. How, what do you think? Well, George Lucas is a friend of mine, and uh, he and I were having a, a, a good uh, conversation mm-hmm. the other day about it. Uh, I don't want to say too much about the film. Yeah, definitely. I also, I also have a lot of respect for J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. and I want to see where they're taking it mm-hmm. next, you know, mm-hmm. see, what they're, see what they're doing with it. Um, I have to say that I felt that George's group of six films had more uh, innovative visual imagination. Mm-hmm. And this film was more of a retrenchment to things you had seen before and characters you had seen before. And it took a few baby steps forward with new characters. So for me, the jury's out. I want to see where they go with it. I kind of, I don't think he's really saying anything that's not true. Mm-hmm. Because I enjoyed Force Awakens, but I do think it, was maybe the least it had the least innovative visual imagination like it was very tied to the original trilogy and they didn't really push showing you something you'd never seen before which is something that whether you like George Lucas's movies or not he always tried to do something new so it's kind of true i guess it's it's funny they took the video away cuz you know it's James Cameron he can kind of say whatever he wants and nobody's nobody's going to do anything about it i think it's interesting that um he prefaces the whole thing with saying like well i was just talking to my friend George Lucas about it <laughs> You know, almost like name dropping, like, well, this is what Lucas thinks, too. Me and George are talking about this. Yeah. And it's like I agree and I disagree because I think episode seven was exactly what it needed to be. The right Star Wars movie that had to happen at that time. I think if it, it couldn't be... Something like Avatar, for example, if you're going to talk about like breaking new ground with visuals and effects, or even like what Phantom Menace was 
to filmmaking in 99, where it was like breaking a new ground at that time. On episode one, we basically had more freedom than George ever had on the original Star Wars film. And that's really due to digital technology. Up till now, everybody's been constrained by the compromises you have to make because you virtually couldn't build something so big or you couldn't have such an epic landscape to tell your story in. That was the fun part of writing this project is that I wasn't limited. Whatever my imagination could come up with, I just put down on the page and I said, we'll worry about this later. It, like its focus had to be, I think, on what it was, the characters. And that part of the movie is, is great. Well, we'll see. I think it's a, it's a valid thing, too, to see Force Awakens kind of is going to depend. The, thought, people's, uh, the future thoughts of Force Awakens are going to depend on what Episode Eight does. And it's either going to make Force Awakens stronger or it's going to make Force Awakens weaker. But I do like the idea that just Lucas and Cameron just hang out, like, talking about Force Awakens. Like, I really wish there was a commentary track of just George Lucas and James Cameron talking about the movie. <laughs> I'd pay $100 for that. It was like a sand planet, a snow planet, and a forest planet. Like, Okay. It was... A very, it, nothing, it didn't do anything bad. It just, it did show you things you'd seen before, which, cause that was kind of their goal was to make, show you something familiar to ease people back into star Wars. Before we get to giant space horses and, and, and rubber chicken Jedis. Rubber, yeah. <laughs> this is outrageous. It's outrageous. This is outrageous. I'll say this too. Like, you know, you can have movies that push the boundaries visually and then something like Force Awakens, but then you go to any sci-fi or Comic-Con across the country lately, how many people do you see in the past five months dressed as Ray and Kylo Ren, and how many people do you see dressed as Jake Scully and Natiri? you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I hope that women and men all across the world can see something they relate to in Ray a strong woman who does her own thing and has her own story. Where do you come from? Classified, really. Well, I think people are going to love Ray. She is vulnerable and innocent, but at the same time, you do believe that Ray can become really strong and she can really kick some butt. I feel like I've been part of an amazing experience playing Ray. She's an incredible woman. Get ready! For what? There's a difference in where your emphasis is going to go and what makes for a better story. But I'm I am glad we still have James Cameron now that George Lucas has retired because we at least have somebody pushing the crazy, taking it to the limit, being cranky, and being cranky while while doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope he hurries up and gets the avatars out because I'm ready for nine more hours of Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. See you. Speaking of people being cranky, Ian McKegg, he was in New Zealand, right? Yeah, it's um, so just like a like an artist summit kind of thing, I think, right? Yeah, the Art and Industry of Imagination conference in New Zealand. He got on the subject of Star Wars, in saying that the the script for the Han Solo movie for Larry Kasten's script for that. By far the best Star Wars script and one of the best scripts, period, that I have ever read. I laughed, I cried, I did all the things you should do when reading a good script. You're in for a treat. Han Solo. 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 Han 
Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. So then he got on the subject of Lucas and Force Awakens. And he started saying that Lucas submitted a full script to Kathy Kennedy and whatever at Disney, and the script was rejected outright. And according to a report from his presentation, a number of initial script ideas teased Anakin Vader's Force Ghost involvement. You underestimate my power! Which is something that's in the concept art for the Force Awaken- the Art of Force Awakens book. And he supposedly talked about Rey's mysterious heritage, relaying a story about how Qui-Gon and Shmi had a romantic affair in the early drafts of Phantom Menace, an idea whose remnants are still seen in the final film. What? He also teased, paraphrasing, that none of these prequel-related concepts were able to be used outright. These, remains, these ideas remain in the Lucas ecosystem and filter through. And that Disney executives were reluctant to include any non-Caucasian characters. And that there was an outright ban on using anything kind of prequel related. They wanted to distance themselves from the prequels completely. Yeah, I don't know. Because it is one of those like interviews that I don't think there's, a, there's not a video or anything, right? So it's just somebody remembering what they heard him say at this little event. But You, you could make up anything. Yeah. Well, I know somebody asked Pablo Hidalgo, and he denied a lot of that. He said there was never a script by Lucas. This is my life. This is the hole I live in, the cave I hibernate in. I have beautiful, pristine yellow tablets ready to go. Nice, fresh blocks of pencils. I'm all set. All I need is an idea. I mean, if you're going to say that they're trying to distance themselves from the prequels or the prequel era, in the week immediately following, they make a huge announcement that Forrest Whitaker's playing Saw Gerrera. Yeah, Saw's been kicking around for a while. A lot of people know him from Clone Wars, but he actually started off before that. George Lucas had him in mind for his live-action TV series that he was in development, which ultimately never happened, but he found a place to put Saw into his story in Clone Wars. But I could see their, I mean, when they were... Early on with Force Awakens, trying to, if you watch the movie, there's really nothing tying it to the prequels, but it kind of makes sense. It doesn't seem out of place to be that way. I mean, in the first five minutes, they're talking about the balance of the Force. Right. But they do, right? They do talk about the balance of the Force. And Ray Speeder kind of does look more like a pod racer than a, I mean, it's Luke's land speeder sideways, I guess. So it's a little bit of mix between the two. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be curious. Do we know, is Ian McKegg working, still working at Lucas? Film? I would imagine. He, I know he did work on Seven, so I don't know. Because <laughs> it's like if he's not working there anymore, I could see this stuff being more truthful. If it's not, if he is still working there, I wouldn't. See, I couldn't see him saying that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, or it he sounds just, like he said it very politely, and the person reporting on it kind of amped it up to sound a little more confrontational. It put his own, his or her own spin on it. Yeah. I'm anxiously awaiting in 20 years or whenever we get the the real making of Force Awakens book. There's got to be some really good stuff in there. I mean, is it is it blasphemy if I say the stuff that's in the Art of Force Awakens book that kind of gives a, a little hint of what Lucas had in mind? Is it blasphemous of me to say that I'm happy it didn't happen? They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I wanted to do was tell a story of what happened 
Mm-hmm. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. I mean, ultimately. I mean, space, we call it space opera, but it, people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. Yeah. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing. And so I decided, fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway. But at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble. You know, some of the stuff in there, like the Darth Dartawan or Talon or whatever it is, and kind of the look that, like, with the character that eventually Finn became, how he kind of looks like River Phoenix and... It's got a very much a direct Han Solo thing going on. You know, I'm kind of happy we didn't get an Anakin ghost in Seven. The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me? I'm not. I'm, I'd like to see it come up eventually, but, it, you know, and that goes back to another thing Cameron was saying, that he felt like Seven took baby steps with new characters. And I don't, that's another thing I don't really agree with. I think Ray and Finn especially... And Kylo Ren, I think those are huge steps with new characters. It wasn't, I don't feel like Force Awakens was relying so heavily on the past to tell its story. The actual, yeah, because I think the characters, the new characters are the best part of Force Awakens. And that's definitely something it did right. I just, for me, it's just, I think visually the fact that they were, they were hesitant to show something that wasn't familiar. Sure. As far as, you know, a planet you've never seen before, that sort of thing. But yeah, character-wise, I think it was great. It's got to be really interesting to see what, comparing it to what we get in the uh, the original trilogy making books, like of actually seeing what Lucas's outline was versus the Michael Arndt outline. Like, I'm really excited to get to kind of see where the story went before they got what they got. Yeah, we may never because it's hard. It's hard to know even with those few pictures that you know if that was ultimately the direction Lucas wanted, or if those just happened to be, con- you know, concepts that were drawn along the way and stuff they kept, stuff they didn't keep. Cause I just seem like, I think we've talked about this before too, like that there's a lot of stuff they didn't put in that book. Oh yeah, definitely. Which makes me think they're, they're just holding on to stuff for the next hundred movies. <laughs> many they make. <laughs> right. And I almost wonder too, what, what that has to do with the, the making of episode seven book being delayed. If they're delaying it cause there was dirt they didn't want to get out yet. Or if they're just waiting to have more stuff to put in it, like because that's still a, a mystery as to why that book was supposed to come out and then not. I wish, I wish someone would talk to Jonathan Rinsler about that. I know. <laughs> Wonder who could do that. <laughs> in much happier news, uh, headlines across the internet: Samuel Jackson wants Mace Windu to be alive. If what you've told me is true, you will have gained my trust. Yeah. And him and George Lucas talked about it, and Lucas is like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Jackson's quote, um, someone asked, is is Mace Windu alive? And Sam Jackson said, of course he is. Jedi can fall from amazing distances. There's a long history of one-handed Jedi, so why not? George is like, I'm okay with that. You can be alive. <laughs> Between that and the James Cameron one, it just seems like George Lucas is just having like the best time being retired he's just hanging out with people talking about star wars they wouldn't build his museum in chicago and he doesn't care anymore but man all i think about was mace windu with a gold robot hand and it, i just couldn't i couldn't sleep i'm going to end this once and for all i hope uh, uh 
one of the one of the movies at some point is just the adventures of one hand, old hand mace one, windu yeah big beard going around bald head maybe he'll show up in rebels he should well that's a great idea yeah well i was talking to to uh, our friend richie about it and he said he could have amnesia and everything and no one would, he wouldn't know who he was be perfect he could be in rogue one yeah it's not gonna happen but it could be <laughs> it could no not yet that's possible i don't think so 20 years when they start exhausting the spin-off movies you know <laughs> that's, I, I was actually thinking about that uh i think this morning that i'm like i'm really looking forward to like 15 years from now when like all the all the good ideas are done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And they, but they're still making money, so they just start making the really crazy stuff. Yeah. The Dengar spinoff movie, the, the Adventures of the Max Rebo Band. Yeah, all that stuff is going to be. The future is going to be good. <laughs> Mace Windu with a beard. Yeah, bearded Mace Windu. Gold hand. Just riding a speeder bike around the galaxy. <laughs> Entering a breakdancing competition. <laughs> yeah. He opens up a, a kitchen. Like a, a restaurant. And it's, oh, maybe it's a, he has like a, a spatula hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a movie about, you know, Mace Windu's dream of owning his own restaurant. Right. Like, now I don't have to get Jedi. <laughs> now I can cook. Wait till people try my omelets. Though I ran into Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker, I had myself a pretty good little operation. They wanted a ride to Alderaan and they're willing to pay enough so I didn't have to ask any questions. Now I'm in the middle of a rebellion. I'm spending half my time dodging Imperial ships and the other half avoiding Her Holiness. Not only that, but Jabba the Hutt's got a price on my head and he's put Boba Fett on my trail. Something tells me it's not going to get any better when the Empire strikes back. So this week, we did a special thing where we went and we listened to a few Star Wars records. And they're... All, all three of them. We listened to Planet of the Hoop Jibs. We listened to Droid World. We listened to listen to. It's a Rebel mission to Ord Mantel. Right. All three of those came out in 1983. The read their read along adventures put out by Buena Vista Records, which is owned by Disney. Which that's a whole other story itself. Star Wars is long history with Disney before the Disney sale. Yeah. But it kind of started. The format had existed since 1958. When Disneyland Records released the very first large format record of Sleeping Beauty and Herbie and the Love Bug. And then there was like Treasure Island and a Pirates of the Caribbean one based on the ride. So then in 77, when Star Wars came along and they were making Star Wars everything, they decided, well, let's do one of these records, one of these read-along adventures for Star Wars. And it was a, it was a huge hit. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the hope of freedom was kept alive by rebel forces fighting against the evil Galactic Empire. In a daring raid, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. But as the rebels raced back to their base, they were pursued by a powerful Imperial starship. Yeah, which makes sense because at the time you couldn't get the VHS tape or like that was kind of one other than uh, your imagination or just reading a book, like the only way to kind of relive the movies. Right. And the fact that they had, you know, voice voiceovers and sound effects, it was 
as close as you could get to being in the theater. Mm-hmm. So that continued with Empire and Jedi, and then kind of like with with the end with Jedi coming and like seemingly the last Star Wars movie for a very long time. They're like, well, let's keep this going. So they started to do adaptations of a couple of the Marvel comics at the time. Which, it's interesting that the issues that they chose to do adaptations of, the very first one that they did, they did uh, Droid World, based on the comic Droid World. They did Planet of the Hoob Jibs, based on the comic issue Pilf. <laughs> and then a completely original story, which is interesting, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell. But first... This is the story of Planet of the Hoob Jibs. <laughs> Chewbacca skillfully steered the Rebel survey ship into orbit around a mysterious planet. Princess Leia studied the lush green land below. It's called Arbor, Chewie. If our reports are correct, it could be the perfect place for a secret Rebel base. The Wookiee growled a warning. <coughs> Leia nodded. Sure, it could be dangerous, but we've been in hairy spots before. No offense, Chewie. So... The rebels land on this planet and they're flying around in their, I think, what do they call them? Air bikes, <laughs> which are like speeder bikes, but they look really slow. They're like slow speeder bikes. And they find this planet. They don't think there's any, any much life on it. So they go and they make a base and like, this place is great. And then all of a sudden these little weird furball hamster things show up and start eating all their electronics and then they realized that those things can talk. An amazed Princess Leia was handed the small captive. Hey, this little guy can talk. But our recon report said that Arbor contained no intelligent life. The tiny hujib huffed a tiny huff. <laughs> I am Pliff, my good creature. And I dare say, more intelligent than that shaggy beast that grabbed me. <laughs> then tell me why you made a midnight snack out of our power supply. Yes, we do owe you an explanation. Ages ago, our Hujib ancestors made their home in a crystal cavern near here. Inside are huge crystals, which draw power from the center of the planet and transform it into pure energy. This is what we live on. But with so much food at home, why hit us up for dinner? If we were forced out of our home by a beast. <laughs> <laughs> and they're called Hujibs. And they're basically eating everyone's electricity because they can't go back to their cave where they live, which is full of crystals, full of energy, because this giant bat lizard called the... What's <laughs> it? <laughs> the Slivelith. It's called the Slivelith. After drifting in space for years, it made its way to our home. We were forced to flee, surviving on any bits of energy we could find. Slivelith. Hardest thing to pronounce the Slivelith. The Slivelith uh, came from space and is, is living in their crystal cave, and they need the rebels to help them. It's basically the story. It's a beautiful story. It is. And it's a story that's even crazier in the comic because in the comic they're telepathic. What is? How does that work out in the story? They just hear them in their minds instead of hearing them out loud. I don't think it changes the story much. Oh, so the know. the Hujibs aren't actually talking. They're like talking into Leia's mind. Yeah. Oh, and I bet you they just didn't want to have to waste. You know, they only have twenty-four pages. They didn't want to have a page explaining what telepathy is for eight-year-olds. Maybe I don't know. There's a couple of things I really liked in Planet of the Hoo- I liked all of Planet of the Hoojibs, uh, Hoojibs actually, but I really liked the fake C-3PO voice. 
with the golden droid, C-3PO set about collecting and processing data. I wish R2 was here to see all this. It's much nicer than that ice planet Hoth. Whoever yeah. they have playing C-3PO. Yeah. And it's funny to think about, like, because these days it seems like Anthony Daniels will do anything that has C-3PO in it. Anything. Anything. Even and then, you things- know, in 83, I guess, well, I guess that was after, right after Jedi, he was probably burned out, but... It's weird, yeah, that of all the voices you would think they would have Anthony Daniels. But yeah, bootleg C-3PO is pretty funny. Maybe it was Hoojibs and Droid World, where after that he was like, I could have done that. Like, <laughs> so wait, somebody else got paid to be C-3PO? No, 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 no. Yeah, you're right, probably. Then he vowed never to let anyone else be C-3PO again. No. <laughs> How rude. I don't know. I liked. I think the Leia voice is great too. Was, she really doesn't sound anything like Leia, but she's like a spunkier Leia. I don't know. They're Hujib, your highness, natives of this planet. Not very intelligent, I'm afraid. I think they're adorable. One particularly playful Hujib took a liking to Chewbacca, much to his dismay. The little creature snuggled around the giant Wookiee's neck. Leia couldn't resist teasing. Why, I think he's adopted you, Chewie. <laughs> and you thought there was danger here. Now, weren't you wrong? <laughs> and she gets to tell the main hujib, Pliff. <laughs> she gets the great line of, Pliff, I think I love you. Friendship is what makes a home really a home. And you're welcome to share a home with us. Leia B. Pliff? I think I love you. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much the climax of the story. Is bootleg Leia falls in love with Pliff. <laughs> and then the Hujibs let the rebels share the planet with them, right? Yeah, planet planet so, Arba. Arbra. Arby's. So, Pl- planet Arby's. So, yeah, Arby. The planet of curly fries. Curly fries and, and Arby sauce. <laughs> Sliced beef. They, um... I mean, I guess so. Until Jedi, all <laughs> all the rebels are hanging out with Hujib. <laughs> I guess it doesn't say Legends on the book, so I think these are still canon. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the Slivoth is defeated by Chewbacca coming out of nowhere and grabbing its tentacles and like slamming it against a wall. He's twirling around in a circle until it hits something. <laughs> Suddenly, from behind a rock, Chewbacca leaped up. The giant Wookiee grabbed the beast, vaulting it in mid-flight. Using the Slivalith's great size against it, Chewie slammed the monster into a wall of razor-sharp energy crystals. An eerie sound, like shattering glass, echoed through the cavern as the Slivalith tumbled helplessly down the tunnel that led to the fiery core of the planet. Cheering rebels and hujibs rushed into the cave as Chewbacca gave a victory roar. The whole thing, though, like watching these or listening to these is like, I wonder if why these didn't end up as a. Uh, I guess it made sense why they weren't Clone Wars episodes, but I can totally see these becoming Rebels episodes someday. Yes, I agree. I mean, they especially in season one. I feel like there were Rebels episodes that weren't too far off from Hoojibs. No. And Slithless. But, you know, these are always, it's it's almost like when we talk about Star Wars tales, it's like some of these kind of Star Wars stories are my favorite where they're just like, 
it's the heroes on these kind of wacky side missions that have nothing to do with the big story. Right. And there's just, I don't think I ever get tired of just people going to a new planet and finding weird stuff <laughs> and then falling in love with it. <laughs> falling in love with Pilf. Yeah. So speaking of finding weird stuff, there's from 1983 also the first further adventure record that came out, Droid World. This is the story of Droid World. Let's begin now. Young Commander Luke Skywalker stood in the Rebel ship's loading dock. The wreckage of a menacing war machine towered above him. An Imperial war bot. So, Major, this is what you had to face in your last battle with the Empire. The Major pointed to the giant mechanical claws and powerful laser guns. Believe me, it was no picnic. A full readout of this damaged warbot would really give us an edge in future combat. So, Droid World, they, what do they come across? Uh, the Rebels have a fight with the Empire and they destroy, uh, uh, what's it, what's the droid called? Oh, it's a, it's a uh, Imperial Warbot. Oh, the Warbot, yeah. Daddy Warbot. <laughs> um, <laughs> They, they get this damaged warbot, um, which is pretty much like a trash can with a claw arm on it. Yeah. But it's giant. And the, the rebels are like, decide that they need a, a schematic of it in case they ever have to fight it again. So they want R2 to go in and basically make a schematic. And he hits a wire or something, and it gets melted. And they're like, oh, no, how are we ever going to get a schematic? But luckily, one of the rebels knows about this crazy guy who lives on a planet called Droid World who can fix anything. <laughs> A voice boomed over the radio. Turn back, intruder, or I'll blast you out of space. This is Clickson, and I don't want any dealings with you human life forms. I'm a cyborg, half machine, half man. I surround myself with nothing but robots. But Captain Clickson, it's your sympathy to droids that brought us here. We have a damaged warbot that only you can fix. I like a challenge. All right, I'll do it. But I have two rules in my world. First, that no human set foot on my planet. And second, anything I repair, I keep. Luke turned to his droids. If I were to send you two aboard with the warbot, R2 could record everything Kligson does. At the very least, we'll end up with the Major's readout. Course, hijinks ensue, and uh, there's an evil robot on there called what, ZX3. Mm-hmm. He steals the the warbot and turns it back on, and then attacks the guy. What Kling? What's his name? Klingson. 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 This is Klingson. I'm a cyborg. And he gets blown up, but then he's not really blown up because it was just a droid imposter. There's a big droid fight at the end, and then. Clingson's really sad because all his droid friends are dead. I have won, but at what price? My world is in ruins. Look at this terrible waste. Half the population is destroyed. My friends have slaughtered one another. R2 and 3PO, you are free to go. You are fortunate you have a home to return to. And then he flies away. Into into uh, the unknown, and Klingson saves the day, showing up in a tank. 
Like the end, yeah. the ending gets completely like I don't even know what was going on in the ending. Yeah, because there's like three PO and R two are on the run from an army of droids, which kind of remind me of Wally when like all the droids like band together. Oh yeah, it's totally Wally. And then the three PO and R two get saved by giant magnets that pop out of yeah. nowhere in the sky, and then Klingzen shows up in a tank. And then there's this all-out droid battle, which is the art in the book is great, and the art in the comic is great because it's literally like giant, dumb-looking robots fighting. <laughs> They're like super goofy-looking trash can. They almost look like little toy wind-up droids that are like thirty feet tall, and there's just armies of them fighting. <laughs> and Klingson has like a robot double of himself. Yeah, that like because well, he's a cyborg. This is Klingson. I'm a cyborg. <laughs> but then in the end, he cries. He says, and I love it like, when they're flying away at the end. Luke feels really bad for Klingson. And I can't help but feel sorry for Klingson. He loved his droids, yet he was forced to destroy so many of them. R2-D2 beeped softly. C-3PO nodded. You're right, R2. The Empire will soon be back to try and destroy Klingson again. Suddenly, Droid World's powerful engines fired up and propelled the gigantic ship far into deep space. Luke smiled. If the Empire can't find him, they can't destroy him. Maybe Klingson will find peace after all. Yeah, I feel bad for Klingson. Yeah. Spent a lot of time building his family of robots. Um, but we should have known that a ZX3 was going to be a problem because he was an Imperial droid. Did you think about, too, how similar Droid World is kind of to Black Hole? black hole come out it looks like the comic came out in 1981 okay so that was way after black hole yeah because black hole was still in the 70s right like 79 i think okay yeah well the other thing i think is funny is so it's like droid world ripped off black hole and then i think the droid factory scene in phantom menace is kind of ripped off of droid world in a way (laughs) especially with 3po and r2 kind of falling into the machinery oh yeah totally you're right and the and the that other droid i mean it's very similar to that end scene where there's just all the droids getting melted i also really like um 3po saying that they love master luke yes zx3 and remove the restraining bolts from these rebel droids they will be free of their master to join us here in droid world c3po was stunned but, sir, we love Master Luke. How could we ever think of abandoning him? Droids? Happy with a human master? I've never seen such devotion. ZX3, bring them to me. I want to examine these two firsthand. There's a lot of love in these comics. There is. For these books. There should be. Yeah. Hujibs love Leia. 3PO and R2 love Luke. <laughs> they blow Klingston's mind. 
because he's like, how can the droid love a human? <laughs> he's got to check him out. <laughs> Maybe that's what turns Klingson around, you know? Yeah, if droids can love, then cyborgs can definitely love. Yeah, maybe Klingson, after the events of Droid World, maybe he's like, you know, I've been I've been too grumpy. I've been like James Cameron. Maybe I should just try and enjoy life a little bit more. Yeah. He's got a world full of droids. Yeah. Could be worse. Yeah. Oh, so here's some more crazy trivia. The cover of Droid World, the comic, uh-huh. was drawn by Frank Miller. If I ever see Frank Miller at a convention ever again, be like, man, I love your work. This is the best stuff you've ever done. The cover of Droid World. Sign that for me. Yeah. Which Frank Miller, he also did. He did an Empire Strikes Back pinup. Do you remember that of um, Luke and Vader fighting on Cloud City? No, you know, I don't remember that one. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, so finally, the last one released, 1983, Mission Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell. Yeah, and this one's kind of weird. Written by Brian Daly, who wrote the Han Solo adventure books and also was responsible for the... Um, the, the radio uh, dramas. The right? radio dramas, <clears throat> which the Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell really plays like a radio drama, but it has the same voice cast... That was employed for Droid World and Who Gyps. Yeah. So there's a, it's it's interesting that there's actually like continuity to these since it is the same voice actors. Right. Um, but this one brings back Han because he, this he, is before Empire, right? Yes. Yeah. Right before Empire. After the destruction of the Death Star, the Rebel Alliance was forced to abandon its base on the fourth moon of Yavin. Hunted by Darth Vader and the Imperial Star Destroyers, the Rebels have taken refuge on the ice planet Hoth and begun establishing a new base there. But the Princess Leia Organa and the other Rebel leaders know that to have the Empire locate them on Hoth would be a disaster. And so, the dangerous job of diverting the Star Destroyer's attention falls to the Rebellion's most daring and capable warriors. Now, two Rebel X-Wing fighters draw near to a jungle world, much like Yavin's fourth moon, as Lieutenant Commander Luke Skywalker and Captain Han Solo prepare to carry out a hazardous mission. So it's like, it's a half hour long, just radio drama like style adventure like just star wars side adventure and it's like actually like we you know you listen to who jibs and droid world and they're pretty goofy but this one's like actually like kind of legit like pretty darn good you know like yeah the music is really good the sound effects are good there's even like cool stereo effects where people walk off into one speaker like it seems like they put a lot more work into it you get to have imagine Han Solo flying an X-wing, yeah, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it starts out right away with Luke and Han 
on a mission to distract the umpire. And yeah, Han is in an X-Wing flying one. And there's great banter between the two of them with like Han calling Luke like Junior and stuff. Here we go, Han. One quick pass at the planet. You ready? Ready to get chased and shot at, you mean? I can't wait. Luke, how do I let you talk me into these things? Those rebel intelligence analysts said we'll have plenty of time to get clear before the Imperials can catch us, huh? Listen, kid. You didn't notice those analysts volunteering for this mission now, did you? They're no fools. Then why'd you volunteer? Nah, it's better than saddle-breaking tauntauns back at the Hoth base. (laughs) R2-D2, are you all set back there? (laughs) Great. My R2 unit's ready too, Luke. Okay. Beginning the dive... Now. And we learned that Han is a uh, racist against bug people who are born in eggs. <laughs> hates them. He hates them. Yeah. We have a rebel agent in place already. His name is Fodrus. He's a Narithian. A Narithian? One of those bugs? What's eating you, Han? I don't trust him. Not a Narithian. Uh, really, Captain Solo? Just because a member of the Rebellion happens not to be a human being is no justification for you to be so intolerant. Listen, Goldenrod, Nerithians get hatched. Two or three of them to an egg. But Fodrus is one of the most loyal agents the Alliance has. He's risked his life for us, not once, but many times. I still don't like it. You can't count on a bug. But you trust a Wookiee to fly the Falcon, don't you? Hey, hold on. Chewie's a whole different case. Sure, huh? Whatever you say. Which, that's a whole wild thing, too, that, like, the bounty hunter, Fo- oh, no, Fodris, I got confused, and Fod- Fodris was, like, a rebel bug, but he had a brother, and they shared the same mind. Yeah, so there's Fodris, I don't remember the name of the alien, but they're bug aliens, and they're they're hatched from eggs, and they have egg mates, who are, like, their twins. Yeah. And Fodris was the, the loyal rebel that Leia would vouch for, but his evil twin brother is Cypher. Ooh, Yeah. And it turns out that Cypher tried to mind mind melt or something with Fodris to get all the rebel info, and it killed his brother. So Cypher took over as Fodris, and he's been a spy all this time. What? And his voice is great. Don't try to stall me, Solo. Just throw it over here to me. Here you go. Come on! Stay back, Leia. Uh, clever. That was very clever, Solo. No one has ever disarmed Cypher before. Now, I can see how you came by your reputation. Let's just say I've had some practice with that trick, Cypher. Comes in handy sometimes. Keep away from your blaster. My weapon is closer than yours. You can't win. I'm warning you, Cypher. Even you aren't that fast, Solo. You don't want to find out. You can't bluff me, Solo. You haven't won, Solo. You'll never get off on Mantell alive. Well, that's right. I like that it's like it starts out kind of serious and then it gets in uh, Droid World Hujib's territory a little bit when Fodris is there and then it kind of goes back to a, a little more serious. Yeah, but this one really surprised me though because like I had never, like before we started doing research for this episode, I had never heard this at all. Yeah, I had never listened to it either. I think because there isn't a book to go with it. Right. It was kind of like. You'd forget it's there. 
So the other great thing with this one, if you if it's hard to just listen to it, there's a guy on YouTube who basically acted it all out with action figures, and it's pretty great. So if you've never listened to it but you need something to watch, look for that. Maybe we'll post the link. Yeah, we, we, uh, we'll look for the link on our Facebook page. And he also did an action figure adaptation of Hoojibs, right? Yeah, he did Hoojibs as well. What does he use? What what is what does he use for the hoojibs? Uh, the hoojibs are I think they're just cotton balls with googly eyes. <laughs> um, and then for Ord Mantel, for Fodris Cipher, he uses uh, the Masters of the Universe lizard face guy that like spits water out of his mouth. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which I was thinking about is actually pretty impressive because he's like not the right scale to Han Solo, so I think he uses you know camera tricks to make him not so huge. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's and pretty good. I'll, I'll post everything on the uh, the Blast Points Facebook page too. But all of these, like, there are people who have done some pretty impressive versions of these on YouTube. Like, even for Droid World, there's somebody who does like fade in and fade outs of the the books illustrations with the story playing along. I wish they would have kept these going. You know. Yeah, well, I think it's it's one of those things that kind of they had their time because now with you can get the movies on Blu-ray or just digital downloads, and with YouTube, it's kind of like these lost their charm a little bit. But it's fun to go back to them. Yeah, and they kept it going. There was a there was an adaptation of the adaptation of the Ewok movies. Both the Ewok movies had read-along adventures, and then it was kind of it seemed like it was gone for a while. But then there was a read-along adventure. I don't know if they still called it that, but for Force Awakens that came out. When the Millennium Falcon reached Octo, an old man was waiting for Rey. Luke Skywalker was strong in the Force and had sensed her arrival. Rey handed the Jedi Master the lightsaber. It was his, after all. Rey didn't know what the future held, but she was sure that her adventures were only just beginning. Phantom Menace also. That's right. They couldn't do Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. It was too outrageous. Yeah. The books would have caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to do it, but all the test prints dispersed into flames. Oh, I wish they I wish they would have done it because I would give anything if they didn't use the the film's audio to hear someone doing Hayden Christensen lines. Don't worry. Intoxicating. Liar! Or somebody else doing uh, Watt Tambor's voice. <laughs> the Techno Union Army is at your disposal count. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Yep, so we have a new iTunes review. Oh, great. This one is titled A Celebration of Star Wars Fun, written by Scott Bentz. And Scott writes, This podcast is the true embodiment of the spirit of fun in Star Wars. It celebrates the entire universe of Star Wars in such a way that even a non-hardcore fan like myself can get into the conversation or discover new things to enjoy. Highly recommended. 
Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Scott Bentz. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, J.J. Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode Seven, thank you. So if you liked this episode or you like the show in general, head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and just like Scott Benz's review there, we will read it on an upcoming show. Yep, and if you have any questions or comments, you can post them on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll probably read those too. Yeah, we will. We definitely will. We don't get enough of those, and I'd love to have more questions, comments, anything. Yeah, episode suggestions. We're on Twitter at Blast underscore points. Yeah, like I said, we're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram. Um, I've got stuff I write about Star Wars on DoomRocket.com. You can read that. I do a Clone Wars recap every week. Yeah, and we'll be back. Um, we'll be back next week for episode 29 of Blast Points. Yeah, who knows what's going to pop up next week. It'll be about Star Wars. Most likely, yes. Most likely, it'll be something about Star Wars next week. <laughs> if three Avatar movies pop out next week, it might be about Avatar. But other than that, it's probably going to be about Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of mad at James Cameron. I might have an av- Avatar boycott for a couple weeks. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on behalf of Blast Points, episode 28, this is Jason. Hey, it's Gabe. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. for the rebellion the fight against the empire goes on though they are hunted and harried the rebels have won an important victory and they can still look with hope for the day when peace and justice are restored to the galaxy